Bonjourno. Happy Real Housewives of New Jersey premiere. I have to tell you guys. First off, it's it's AG. I don't know whatever what episode. Three something or other. Math is fun. Um, so I had a scheduling zhuzh with an episode I thought I would be recording yesterday. And I was like, you know what? So much is going on in the Bravo sphere. I'm still kind of cooking, to be honest, about Potomac. I watched that, watch what happens with Robin, and I was, oh boy, I felt very just honestly, personally awkward about all of it. I need to kind of put some thoughts together, to be honest. I think this whole situation, shout out to the Andy's Girls Patreon. If my non-existent husband ever stoops a woman from Canada, I'm probably going to talk about it on the AGP. That's where you guys can go hear about it first. But anyway, I need a couple days to marinate on whatever it is that I watched on that Watch What Happens. Plus, I have to say that there is a content creator um, who came out with a <laughs> with a conversation with this woman, this woman from Canada. Oh, Canada. Um, and it, she was on speakerphone and he was talking to her and I watched it in full. I watched the full, I want to say it was like 15 minutes or 35 minutes. I don't even know, but I watched it like literally first thing this morning and I don't know what, I don't know why I'm so fascinated about, obviously I still don't know how I feel about it, except I mean, I, I feel like, you know, one fucked her, but aside from that, I really just am like, perplexed by the whole thing. I know people are very upset. They're very upset about Robin and the Patreon and the paywall. Andy's obviously upset because it's, it's, um, you know, you're talking about stuff that could be a storyline, but we're not doing it on our main check. We're doing it on the tip jar stuff. So I am honestly still cooking, but um, all this to say, so that, that will come up on an upcoming Andy's Girls episode. <laughs> Just serving on speakerphone, I don't know. <laughs> the part of the conversation was, I guess, Robin said at one point, I don't remember. I feel like Robin has said so much differing information about all of this. This is one of those opportunities where it's like, less details are better, <laughs> give better story. But one of them was that, like, I guess you know, like one, this woman said like her Zell didn't work, which I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm a Venmo girl through and through, but it turns out like Zell doesn't exist in Canada or something like once, maybe once Juan told Robin that this woman was asked for money to be sent to her Zell or something as a part of this like extortion plot that probably wasn't real. Anyway, it's a whole lot. Um, I'm so sorry. I forget the name of the creator who had that interview, but you best believe I absolutely watched it in full. So that will be a part of the coming episode because I actually really do think that I need a guest in which to guide me through how I feel about that. I think I'm like one of three people on planet Earth who who just feels somewhat befuddled by this. I think everybody else truly has a hard take on how they feel about it all. And I honestly just, I truly am like, what is going on? It's just, I don't even mean this in a way that's like critical. It was just such a a terrible idea to talk about it on the Patreon. And it's, that almost supersedes this other stuff, which is so insane, because of course the whole thing is about the other stuff and how it, you know, potentially invalidates some of the ways that we saw Robin and Juan talking about the prenup, the marriage, um, the derogatory um, sort of insulting ways that he was speaking about her feeling down during COVID. And it really, it, it raises a lot of questions. Turns out I did have one or two things to say. So anyway, all that to say, I'm a little TBD on that. And I want to give Potomac the time I think it deserves, which will be 
unpacked on the next Andy Scrolls. But in the meantime, New Jersey happened. And I got to tell you, I just needed to hop on the horn and just say how happy I am that it's back. There was something, I mean, I laughed multiple times. I don't know why this took me out. But Polly being like greased up behind the, they were all oily and shiny and and how I would expect the men of Real Housewives of New Jersey to be just like you could slide right off of them. It's a real slip and slide kind of photo shoot. And Polly behind that bar with the like lucky charms for the clover vest. I have to tell you, you know, I've been in a little bit of like a tough spot with Salt Lake. We're not going to get into it on this episode. Thank God. I am one of the many people likely breathing a sigh of relief over that. But I have to say, Salt Lake has been real fucking dark. It's just been so dark and so uncomfortable. One of the only positives I think has been the way that I feel like the majority of the audience has really been a part of the ride, even in how we're talking about our feelings about the episodes. So it felt like we were all suffering together and there is a little bit of a bond there. And then New Jersey premieres and I'm like, and this is irony alert. I really honestly felt like, oh, this is the light that I need, even though I know we are about to trudge through the abyss, which is the Bravo community talking about Teresa Vimalis. The tree Vimalis divide, I mean, Pignoli versus Sprinkle, it is going to be rough, tough stuff. I know that there is a journey ahead of us. I know that. And I know that we can't all go through it together because we're sort of at war. But all of that being said, the energy on New Jersey is so specific and honestly was a delight to see. I also have to say the new cast additions, Rachel and Danielle, I think so far, I mean, we're one episode, one supersized, lest I forget, episode in. They seem perfect. There, there's somebody else who was there. I think her name was Jennifer or Jessica. God bless her. God bless that random woman. Um, I guess we'll see her as a friend, maybe. She's giving me Jennifer Gilbert vibes where like she's there and she's a genuine adult human person. And that's probably why it's not going to work out because she's like too probably normal and decent and lovely and like funny, but not necessarily um, the cartoon character, but grounded-esque vibes, which I've come to really love in not all of, but many of the Jersey housewives. And I have to tell you, Rachel and Danielle love the scenes with their families, couldn't tell you the difference between their husbands. I remember there was some like peck dancing with one of the husbands, which I was very into. Another one had met his wife at the club and promised her the life of her dreams. I mean, I can see that club in front of me. I haven't seen Jersey Shore in a number of years, but I could feel that energy and I fucking loved it. I loved to see the way that these women seemingly seamlessly have blended into the energy of the cast, but they're also acclimating. And you run into the issue. I think this came up with Rachel and Jen Aiden. You run into the issue of like, catch me up, even though I've obviously know what's going on because I've seen every episode of the show coming into conflict with, you know, alum cast members saying you don't know because you weren't here and weren't a part of filming and you can't say quite literally that you watched an episode because we're in this dreamland where this is a friend circle and like maybe there are cameras here and sometimes they're mentioned, but often they're not. But to see the way that these two women have joined the cast, I was extremely into it. There was an energy and a vibe and I just felt like this is going to be an interesting season. But also let's enjoy these like light or maybe tingly moments because it's going to get tough. And there was a way that I looked at Dolores v. Jen Aiden 
And I find myself feeling, again, a little bit confused about it all. I mean, from my uh, memory, one of the main issues, aside from the use of the C word, was that Jen didn't feel supported by Dolores, including, I think, with like um, emotional support of being the person Jen could cry to or maybe asking Dolores to like stand strong with her, but having moments of vulnerability and maybe not truly feeling supported at that time. Maybe a little bit of the Frank stuff of feeling like Dolores didn't necessarily stand up when she felt like Frank was throwing her under the bus or whatever. I don't I don't totally know, except that there was friction and there's obviously upset. It is also one of those circumstances where I'm trying to find out where the genuine hurt and frustration ends. And I know that it's there. I I do believe that there is genuine upset that Jen feels versus the reality TV, like when that cuts in. Because I do think that there has to be some sort of line. I don't think that they necessarily run together. I just think specifically in this situation between these two people, I do believe Jen when she says she's hurt, regardless of whether or not, you know, feelings aren't fact. So while I have empathy for her, I genuinely don't remember, I think, enough of the details. And I also kind of feel like, you know, you can say Dolores is a piece of shit, but whether or not that means Dolores is a piece of shit is another kind of combo to have. But I do believe that there's genuine upset that Jen feels. However, it was obviously inflated as the way to like perform the C word symphony plie as Jen exited with Bill into the night. Um, and it's just kind of, it is, I, I don't know, it's a, a curio a la um, succession. It is kind of one of these situations that I feel like I wonder how much weight is underneath this. Because I think it could be resolved if these women talk to each other. I do not think it is as complicated, even as like Marge and Tree or obviously Tree and Joe or Tree and Melissa. And I just kind of wonder like why that's not happening, why they're not able to communicate with each other. I feel like at this point it's too much, but I also kind of am appreciative about the way that this kicked off the season because I don't know how we would feel if it was entirely a premiere episode devoted to Teresa and Melissa. We know that that's bubbling under the surface. We know that it was obviously a major part of Teresa's frustration and hurt and upset and apparently Louis as well. Um, can you tell he no longer has a full-time job because the man came to play this season and I don't know how I feel about that. Actually, I do know. I don't feel great. Um, but I feel like the Teresa and Melissa, if the premiere had really kicked off highly focused on them, we would be drained by episode three. So there's something to be said with the show starting by focusing on the conflict between Dolores and Jen. And then obviously going from there. And so much of this is connected. The Dolores and Jen stuff, maybe not as much as um, whatever is going on with Marge and Teresa. But obviously that element seems to be grounded, at least in Teresa's eyes, by having like a direct correlation to Melissa standing in the way of Teresa's family. And I thought to myself before I watched, I was talking about this with a friend actually earlier today, how thankful I was that I really don't have a side in the matter. Like there are obviously super, super tree stands, like the real, real pro-environment tree huggers. And then what are they called? Loggers or something. (laughs) Then there, of course, are Melissa stands, but often I think Melissa stands are Melissa stands, but also Melissa stands often are the tree loggers, like the people who are anti-tree. And so I found myself, I was talking about this with a friend earlier, as one does, um, 
how kind of like thankful I am that I, I really don't, I'm not like obviously, you know, a tree hugger by any means, but I'm not super anti-tree. I'm, I'm genuinely open to seeing how this goes. And that is an evolution that's come with time. I mean, if you listen to old AG episodes, maybe from like, God, I don't even know where Jersey was, what season Jersey was in when Andy's Girl started 736 years ago. But I do remember having conversation about like season three, season four Jersey and having a lot of very, very strong feelings and upset about Teresa's behavior. And I've kind of, not that I've like, I mean, I guess uh, there's always room to evolve a person's feelings. I think I have more empathy for her than I did prior. We've seen her go through a lot and survive a lot and um, stay grounded on focusing on her kids in ways that I think is um, admirable, the way that she is really, um, oh gosh, just so grounded in her love for her do- her daughters. Um, I think is impressive to see. And she's obviously raised incredibly, seemingly very mature, like lovely, responsible young adults. Um, And I think that's admirable and impressive. I actually think all of the housewives on New Jersey are fantastic parents, which um, is incredible to see because that's not always the case in the housewives world um, to the detriment of kids who are f- essentially forced to be brought up on camera. Um, so that's an ad- admirable quality. And I found myself in conversation earlier today kind of like thinking on that and um, just kind of thinking like, oh, I'm kind of open to how this is going to go. Like I know that I feel very weird about Louie as happy as I think many of us are in Teresa finding love. He just instinctively when he speaks sometimes, I just feel like there's darkness there that I just makes me slightly uncomfortable. But then we have these moments in these scenes with like Teresa and Marge where she's saying, Marge is the reason that gossip blogs were talking about Louis, which they would be doing regardless of whether or not Marge said anything. But because Marge has her job and is going to talk about these things on camera, that that is the only reason Louis is in hot water, which is so disingenuous. But I think that Teresa really is a believer. She's a believer in herself. She is one of those people who's like, if my instinct is to feel a certain way, then that is the only way that I can feel. And I found myself really appreciating some moments of, I don't know that I would call it vulnerability, but I would I would say like reflective openness that she had this episode, definitely in talking about the similarities to her hot temper um, and also her way of just kind of making a decision and focusing on only that and the similarities that she felt in um, the her father and the way that she viewed her father and his impulses and his reactions and um, harsh sensibilities at times. And, you know, her kind of working on that, I think, is impressive. But I also think I think it's very, very difficult for Teresa to tolerate discomfort in hearing people disagree with her. I think Teresa has a very different idea of what friendship is and even companionship when it comes to like non-spouses in her life. Her ability to not be able to tolerate disagreement because I think she feels that disagreement is a direct attack. And that is something I think that's a little bit tough to work through and ultimately is probably one of the largest elements of, oof, I don't even, I don't want to say like destruction, but one of the largest hindrances to really working through her relationship with Joe and Melissa because I don't know how much Teresa is able to tolerate the discomfort of either owning her behavior or really listening to someone have an opinion or even a feeling, especially a feeling 
that Teresa feels is counter to her own. And I would think that would be very difficult when you're talking about family dynamics and family relationships and she's applying a standard to Joe and Melissa that is probably difficult to reach. And the way that she speaks about her new sisters-in-law and how she's always wanted a sister, knowing that she's obviously had a sister-in-law for many years and also acknowledging that she and Louie are obviously in a honeymoon period and that applies, I would think, to his family as well. Um, while I think it's wonderful that she's like found connections with Louie's siblings, it's also interesting to see, and again, it's a honeymoon period, but how much of the work she wants to put in. And there's obviously a sense that she has that Melissa never wanted to do that work, coupled with an argument that Teresa has been making for a while that Melissa is standing in the middle of Teresa's relationship with her brother. And I would think that if you were Joe in that situation, being asked to choose between keeping your sister happy, happy, which means in some ways turning on your wife, that that isn't necessarily a difficult decision to make. I think it's one that Teresa herself could understand if she could step out of this a little bit, but it's counter to the argument that she's making. So what happens when someone says to her, like, I hear what you're saying, but I disagree. Like, I hear what you're saying, but that doesn't mean that that is the reality of what occurred. And I think a little bit of Teresa's, I haven't listened to the um, full episode, but I saw, I saw a like IG real clip of Teresa and her podcast co-host guesting on Carlos King's show, or maybe he came on theirs. And the way that they were talking about her relationship with Melissa, we all know the history and the conflict, but something that Carlos said, I think later on, um, potentially on a different episode, was that there is this moment that happened when Melissa joined the show and it's something that seemingly Teresa can't get over. And I think that's tough because for a franchise that is all based on family, when you have family members join the show, regardless, and this is a big asterisk that I'm applying because the asterisk is where a lot of Teresa's frustration remains, but regardless of how they came onto the show, if you are having a relationship with two people that's relatively strained and then those two people join the show and New Jersey is specifically about family in many ways, how do you think that's going to end? And Teresa seems to believe that Joe and Melissa chose stardom over the health and protection of their family. And I get that. I like hear it. But I also wonder how protected and secured was that relationship? If you're saying Melissa has always behaved in this way and was nev never reached out to me and should have rescheduled her wedding because I was pregnant and all of these and the I mean the sprinkle cookies and everything else obviously their relationship wasn't in a good place Teresa can make the argument which I can definitely understand that this show absolutely had a negative impact in their family structure but I also wonder where would their family be if Joe and Melissa had not joined the show I do not think that everything would be, in the words of Kathy Hilton, hunky-dory. I don't think that they would be in a necessarily a better place right now. They might not be in as bad a place. Certainly, this show has exacerbated a lot of this. I think one of those reasons is because Teresa has had a record on the show of, like, fucking with Joe and Melissa on camera, but not necessarily doing that. Um, with the press and Joe and Melissa have responded on camera, not necessarily started anything. Although again, asterisk, because you could argue them joining the show was a big 
fuck you moment on the show, but they have responded in press. That's really mostly been Joe. I think mainly Joe, not mostly Joe, but mainly Joe. And the ways that they fight with each other is so different, but it's also all consuming because you've covered all your bases in the worst possible way when it comes to the health and relationship that you're trying to either work through or run away from. And I watched that conversation with, you know, Louie and Tree and the things that Louie said about Melissa being insecure. I was like, oh, I'm open to this. I want to hear and understand their perspectives. But I think it's tough when you're saying, why didn't you call him a bitch boy earlier? Like, I can't believe that you didn't for the man who's namaste. I mean, it's it is a wild thing to kind of watch. I truly had to rewind <laughs> and watch that moment like at least one more time because I, I genuinely was shocked by what he was saying. And then he kind of came in to mediate a little bit during the Margaret conversation. But obviously, Teresa feels like a lot of this Margaret tension is directly related to Melissa and Melissa not standing up for her and never thinking in the reverse. How am I standing up for my siblings? And when you have that kind of dynamic where it is truly a relationship that needs to be built on satiating and making Teresa feel secure, comfortable, content, safe in whatever way, I don't even know about the idea of emotional safety here, but when the divide happens because Teresa isn't having her needs met, but there's no understanding that there are other people who have needs and that there has to be some sort of conversation about meeting in the middle here, having some kind of compromise, understanding that you know, you got to let some aspect of this go. I don't know that Teresa has capacity for that. I think the moments in which she's apologized have been fleeting. I think that they've been relatively superficial. I also think Joe has a real, real difficulty with letting things go. I think Melissa is at the point where she really as of really and truly last season and certainly the beginning of this one truly doesn't give a fuck about eating it in the ways that she used to, but is willing to do that to have people move on. The fact that she reached out to, to Teresa after the reunion and was like, listen, I don't need to be in the wedding. Let's just keep things moving. I want us to be okay. And didn't hear back any kind of acknowledgement. I mean, that's where the thumbs up emoji response comes in. I mean, my God, it's not a double. We don't have a Salt Lake City version of it. And thank fucking God. But to not have any kind of acknowledgement and then get this like fakakta invite to some sort of vacay birthday for Teresa's close friends. But again, not have that respect paid of having someone acknowledge that they are able to withstand listening. Even and especially when that person is giving an olive branch. I mean, I get Teresa not responding that in that moment because things were really hot after the reunion. I get her not responding a couple days later. But like, babe, we can't do a little index finger moment, little whatever, thumbs up, just like a little peace sign, double peace sign, namaste. A week later, we can't, a week and a half, end of month, the rent is due. The relationship with your sister-in-law, we got to pay something. We got to pay something. Pay it forward. Do whatever you need to do. But if it feels like Melissa is making a compromise or concession and she doesn't feel like that ever happens, except for like relatively superficial outermost layer, I'm sorry, my bad. I don't know how you continue to work through that. Ciao, AGs. I am speaking to you right now from Rome, Italy, where I am having a little bit of a European adventure. While I love the city and have had so many unique experiences to historical sites, the Vatican, we went to the Pantheon earlier today, there was a little bit of a hiccup in the apartment that we're staying in. And while I 
really enjoyed getting to know Fabrizio, the owner of the flat. There was a little bit of a language barrier because I unfortunately do not speak any Italian, even though I have watched The Sopranos all the way through at least three times. And this is where Rosetta Stone comes in. What would have helped me enormously in traveling abroad would have been brushing up, also known as entirely learning, the language of Italian. It could have broken down barriers and conversation with Fabrizio. And I also think speaking the language of the place that you're in is a sign of respect to the locals. It's also the ability to fully immerse yourself in the experience. And me not knowing any Italian, apologies to my grandpa Reno, who did make pizza from scratch, it would have been an incredible and even more incredible memorable experience. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, that's right, German, Chinese, and even more. Rosetta Stone immerses you in so many ways. There are no English translations, so you can really learn, listen, and think in that language you want to learn. It's designed for long-term retention, which is especially helpful for me because while this is my first trip to Italy, I really truly hope it won't be my last. The lifetime membership that Rosetta Stone offers has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs in life. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses that Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, AGs can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Ciao. Hey, AGs. Are you ready to add a touch of luxury to your home, just like the Real Housewives? BCC Villa Rosa. Obvs. Introducing Home Threads, where style meets comfort for the ultimate glam experience. Picture this. Chic furniture, one could even say chic c'est la vie, that mirrors the elegance of your favorite housewives' mansions. With exclusive designer collections and a curated selection, HomeThreads.com has everything you need to make your space as fabulous as the housewives themselves and always at the best value. Unlike Joe Gorka's initial attempts at windows, perhaps. Now, I have to tell you, I know that Padma is no longer on Top Chef, and may her memory be a blessing, but nothing has made me feel better prepared to host future seasons and potentially even iterations of Top Chef Upper East Side Edition than the Henkel's clad 10-piece stainless steel cookware set in silver that I got along with a two-piece stainless steel ceramic non-stick fry set from Zwilling thanks to Home Threads. It makes me feel like I am finally ready to be a top chef one egg over easy at a time. They're gorgeous. They look great in the apartment. For someone like me who lives in New York City which have, with a very small space, what I have in my kitchen is important because guests who come to visit me see it. And I'm so, so thankful to have discovered Home Threads because now I feel fully prepared to make eggs a la Francais. Head over to HomeThreads.com today and live your best Real Housewives life. Go to HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls and get a code for 15% off your first order. Again, that's HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls for a 15% off code off your first order. HomeThreads, love where you live. And it's tough because I watched these scenes. I really, truly was like, Okay, open mind, just watching, <laughs> just watching, just feeling. And I understand a lot of Teresa's frustration, but that, that doesn't absolve her of the responsibility for meeting at some point in the middle. And it's tough because you know how pissed Joe was at the reunion about this bitch boy thing. So when you double down, as soon as cameras are up, how do you think that's going to make him feel? He's going to explode and he will probably explode in the press. And it creates this incredibly unhealthy cycle that these three people have gotten used to. And now Teresa has backup. And I do think it's important to acknowledge in the ways that I'm sure Joe is making 
you know, the Gorkers are doing very okay because of the success of their time on Housewives. I'm sure it isn't helping matters that, to my understanding, Louis hasn't found other full-time work. If he is doubling down on this show in the way that he seems to be, I don't know how helpful that is to the dynamic if he is unwilling to understand Teresa's responsibility to also be a grown-up with some of this stuff. I think it's tough when you have him saying the things that he's saying in this dynamic. And then we're talking about, well, someone needed to stand up for Louis. Like, what about, you know, treating your brother and sister-in-law as people? It's so complicated. I don't think that Teresa is alone in bearing responsibility. I just think that it is especially difficult sometimes to understand nuance here when she doesn't paint with that brush. And there is so much that is positive about Teresa. I mean that genuinely. There is the way that she has a love for her family, meaning really her daughters and obviously now her new husband. But Teresa doesn't necessarily or is unwilling to accept additional capacity when it comes to people outside of the five mentioned. And I would put her ex-husband in there. I would put Juicy Joe in there outside of the six mentioned. I think that's really tough. And I I wonder <laughs> about Louis's family being so effusive and emotional. I think that's great. I am fascinated by the dynamic in which his mother is a she a psychologist or psychiatrist. I forget which um, specialty she practices, but my goodness, I would wonder his mother's thoughts on Teresa's dynamic with Melissa and Joe. I frankly would fucking love to see that shit um, in an upcoming episode. Maybe we'll get it. I also wonder as things get more and more tense with Teresa and Melissa, is Louis's family going to be more involved in filming? I'm not actually against that. I just kind of wonder because you would think Teresa wouldn't want that to happen if she, as she was understandably concerned about how the show would fracture her relationship with her brother and sister-in-law. I wonder how she feels about Louis's family. I wonder the conversation she's having with them behind the scenes about what it means to film this very, very specific kind of show. And I'm sure she's guiding them through it. I My guess is that like we'll have more family dinners. I wonder what other conversations we'll see take place. I think it's fascinating. I think that New Jersey is so interesting because there are those moments of light and and of brightness. I and also moments of like genuine shocking and upsetting drama that's taking place. And I know a lot of the conversation well prior to the premiere was what's going to happen in the seasons to come if these two people truly meaning Teresa and Melissa, but really Teresa and Melissa and Joe, like as a unit, um, which is unhelpful, but realistic. If they really like cannot be in the same room together, who's going to go? At, at the end of the day, if these two people truly, if it is so dark that they are unwilling to sacrifice any kind of anything for the sake of having their jobs and being able to communicate with each other what's going to happen in the future. And I don't know what there is to say there. I don't know that anyone has any kind of understanding of how this might potentially work. I do think that if either of them left the show, it would be a disservice to the show. I think that as of right now, ask me in three episodes, I'm likely to change my mind. But as of right now, it's tough for me to imagine Jersey without either of them, to be honest, as exhausting as the fighting and fracture has been. Um, But I wonder if and when it comes to that point, which seems pretty realistic, what's going to happen? Like, can Jersey exist without Teresa? Can, I think it would be 
fascinating to see how, you know, and to hear a little bit about how those conversations are going to be taking place. I don't think that Teresa, Teresa has such a power position within the network. I mean, she is and has been one of the most successful housewives of all time. She's also been incredibly influential in the ways that New Jersey has been fashioned. I I can't imagine her leaving anytime soon. I don't think she has an interest in it. But I also wonder at the end of the day here, when push comes to shove, can these people work together when working together means revealing the very vulnerabilities that have led to further chaos? And I thought the point made, I forget if it was during the episode or on Watch What Happens, which I just watched with Isaac Mizrahi and Dolores, which was so fun. The energy was so fabulously chaotic, which I was very into for a um, live episode. But in the conversation that took place, Dolores talked a little bit about like her feeling that this is done, that these two people are are not going to get along again, that like it's just a split in the family, which is un- obviously unfortunate. But I also just kind of wonder, as Dolores said, you know, a part of the dynamic here that's now missing because Teresa and Joe's parents have passed on is the understanding that the thing that forced them to listen to each other in the ways that they had capacity to at those specific times was because of the pressure, I think, from their parents or the pressure they put on them in thinking of their parents and in not wanting to break apart their family. Like the respect and love that they had for their parents, their understanding of the upset that obviously this chaos and conflict had brought, the stress that it brought to their parents compounded then by all of Teresa and Joe's legal issues, Juicy Joe obviously. And because their parents have both passed on, how does that impact how does that impact their willingness to truly say game over? It's done. Because they don't have those voices in their head. They don't necessarily feel the pressure or or guilt of coming together because for their parents, that was the greatest sign of love was for them to coexist. Now that that pressure is off in many ways, that that ability to be a part of that family unit is over because their parents have passed on in their heads. I could see Teresa and Joe feeling like I don't have to live up to that expectation that I will get over this or that we will get through it together. I just don't. I think that there was a period right after both of their parents had passed where in grieving together, I think that they were able to understand and like appreciate each other in ways. Obviously, Melissa involved in that as well. But with time... You know, those fractures are going to continue to show and to reveal themselves. And I also think this Louis stuff, again, like Teresa, God bless her ability to see the ways that people are speaking or questioning Louis and his behavior and to see that only as an insult to Louis. While I understand a lot of this wouldn't be discussed if he wasn't a public figure, and the only reason he's a public figure is because he started dating Teresa, it is fascinating to see the ways that, you know, she thinks of Melissa as existing only to hopefully make her relationship with Joe okay, and then seeing that furthered with Louie, that like Melissa and Joe should be doing everything possible to not acknowledge, regardless of how this impacts their work, obviously, to not acknowledge or to only and ever defend and protect Louis as an extension of Teresa and Teresa as an extension of herself and not ever come to terms with the reverse, like to call your brother a bitch boy for the second time on a new season. And maybe that's because they've already reached this point in their heads where, like, it just doesn't make sense. And to talk about Melissa being insecure 
of all the things to call her, I don't know that insecurity is what we're really looking at. Um, it leaves a person feeling an element of cringe. Because again, I don't know how much capacity there is. Certainly at this point, there's obviously none in communicating and speaking with each other. God help us when it comes to that reunion. But I think in the meantime, it just kind of, it's tough. It is a tough watch. And yet, I watched the premiere episode. I mean, let us all remember the, <laughs> the light that hopefully we felt. I really did laugh my ass off multiple times. And we'll see what happens as, as the season goes on. Obviously, Rachel and Danielle choose sides. And if I might be fucking this up, but I think Danielle gets very closely aligned with Tree and I guess Dolores and Jen Aiden and then Rachel with the others. Um, and that could be a, it might be a complete switch. But we'll see how that new energy, but is it real new energy? I think those alliances kind of shore themselves up um, pretty tightly. It's like a numbers game at the end of the day. Um, but we'll see how that all of that affects this. I also just thought it was a strong, interesting, entertaining premiere. And I think we needed that. I think Potomac has not had its greatest season. I, I don't think that many people would necessarily dispute dispute that at this point. Um, not helped by the Patreon Michigas of it all. And Salt Lake City obviously was abysmal. Um, and so I just kind of look at New Jersey and it's like, okay, gird your loins for the social media, the the ground war that is going to be um, taking place from here on out, the loggers, the huggers, the people in the middle, just those of us planting seeds. We don't know what's growing. Okay. We're just looking for a garden. Um, but you know, I think I, I am cautiously optimistic <laughs> about what will happen as the season goes on. And I also, New Jersey is one of those franchises that like, I, I honestly forget when people talk about your favorite franchise historically for me, that's really been New York. Um, obviously Potomac artistically creatively has been, um, phenomenal, uh, in seasons past New York obviously is going through its own new beginning as we speak, but New York until the most recent season has really been like prestige housewives for me. And then I think of other franchises like, you know, Bev Hills is really just, you got to watch. You just got to watch Beverly Hills. And there's obviously Atlanta, um, Miami, obviously killing the game. But when I thought of my like favorite franchises, I'm one of those people, New Jersey doesn't necessarily come to mind, which doesn't mean that I don't love it. I think I just discount it in a way. I think maybe it's either it's been so dependable or I sometimes feel a little bit of a cringe because of the Teresa V. Melissa stuff, which maybe keeps me from like lapping it up because it does get so intense um, for a show that's ostensibly about conflict resolution. When you have one of those words, but not the other, um, that can make things tough. But um, I really feel like in watching some of these other franchises have tough, challenging seasons, it makes me appreciate Jersey more because I do think it has been in many ways really consistent. And there has just been so much that has happened through the course of the franchise. It is wild that Teresa has been on every single season and that production paused for her when she went away to camp. I mean, I think that really says something about the power, obviously, that she has and the power of the storyline that really um, draws us closer and connects us to this franchise, but just about the franchise in general. Like every franchise, it's its own theme. Uh, you know, you can look at New York and society, Miami. I don't even know what Miami quit. Maybe cash. Um, Beverly Hills fame, Salt Lake City, uh, religion in many ways and the culture and community that surrounds it. And New Jersey has has always been about family. I mean, I even Danielle's like tangential past 
connection to Caroline Manzo was fascinating and like a little bit of an Easter egg for us all. The idea that these two family titans of family with the Manzos and the Judice, Judices, Judices, the fact that that kind of continues, that there's always a connector there in the people that we see in the greater area of Franklin Lakes. It it kind of tells you something about uh, how they're still moving forward in a way, like the story is still really strong. And I really genuinely have missed New Jersey so much. And when the trailer came out, I was like, oh, my God, thank God. Rescue me. (laughs) Save me from the abyss. And again, I know that we're going to be walking into it sooner than later. And I just hope, listen, we all have our thoughts and feels about Teresa and Melissa, because that's really the dynamic here at the end of the day. It really is a Shakespearean (laughs) level saga at this point. And I just hope, I know this is incredibly unrealistic and, you know, tis the season for it, right? What month are we in? February? Okay, done. Let's make that work. Um, I just hope that we're able to continue having conversations as we talk through whatever happens. And uh, I remain hopefully cautiously optimistic, open-minded, but definitely someone who will continue to have thoughts as the week goes, weeks go on. Um, in the back of my head, I have an idea of an upcoming episode uh, themed around New Jersey. Do I think that it is possible and potentially safe? I'm not entirely sure, but this will be the little marker. You'll know if and when that episode happens, um, what will hopefully be in store. I think it could be something kind of fascinating. And in the meantime, guys, upcoming AG, we got some Potomac happening. P.S. My goodness. Speaking of the Patreon, not Robin's, but also um, definitely mine. Uh, if you go on over to the Andy Scrolls Patreon, there is an hour plus Satchel Spectacular that really focuses a lot of time and um, care, hopefully, in responding to a satchel of gold, a listener thought and feel, question and concern, named in honor for holiness, Kelly Colorn Ben Simone, that was sent in by an AG who had some real thoughts and frustrations with um, the negative critiques that have been leveled Heather's way. And it was a very nuanced, um, I think genuinely important critique to receive um, sort of representative of the waves of negative critique that have been leveled at Heather throughout the season. And I thought it was such an important satchel to discuss and really spent a lot of time on that hour-long episode deep diving. My reaction and an understanding of the disconnection that's been happening um, a lot in uh, accepting the ability to feel a little bit of discomfort in how we um, you know, connect and potentially disagree with each other, um, but are able to hopefully listen. And while that might not be super realistic for the tree loggers and the huggers, I am so appreciative for the AG community in that way, because I do think that the vast majority of people listening, of whom I'm so, I'm just, I continue to be enormously appreciative and thankful and grateful to all of you AGs and to the community that we've built. Um, There is an appreciation for that kind of conversation in which we can disagree with each other. We can have, you know, passionate feelings, but hopefully are able to tolerate some discomfort and listen, Um, especially when we're hearing someone be so vulnerable as this AG was in sharing her story and experience and her feelings. I was very appreciative and thankful to receive it as I am to receive all of your satchels, which you can DM me on Instagram at Dame Galley. You can slide into my Patreon DMs at patreon.com slash Scrolls after you've listened to one of several bonus eps avail, or you can email me a thesis at show at gmail.com. I love that this was intended to be a little bebe episode um, and is, in fact, the typical size (laughs) of AG Classic. But I think, you know, New Jersey genuinely, I think it it deserved to have the focus um, 
that I spent on this episode because I do think it was a, a really strong premiere and I am a little bit aglow. And I do have to say, listen, safe space, okay? Tolerate discomfort. I think sprinkle cookies are one of the best cookies available. Now, peanut for me is number one. A peanut, a, a smushy peanut butter cookie can't go wrong. One of the be- the the goat of cookies. But I do love, I'm going to make this even worse for Teresa. I like a stale sprinkle cookie. I like a hardened, fucked up, has lived a life already, and maybe that life wasn't terribly good, sprinkle cookie. I genuinely think sprinkle cookies are like the shit. So pignoli cookies, apologies to my um, Italian culture, much like I think Rachel said, I am also a pizza bagel. I'm um, Italian and Jewish. But I, I don't fuck with pignoli cookies. Like, I think that's great. I think a pignoli cookie, I, I wish it well on its journey. But sprinkle cookies, I think, are dynamite. I think sprinkle cookies are, like, where it is fucking at. Is that a, you know, marker against me and my core? Entirely possible. I mean, Teresa might be right in this matter. But, you know, we all have our opinions and our perspectives and our takes. And I'm team sprinkle cookie. And if... This episode has taught you anything is that I really do appreciate a like stale day later. Who the fuck wants this shit? You know where the sprinkles are like smushed together because they're so fucked up. I enjoy that. I think that's great. I don't know if it's because I worked in the restaurant industry. I mean, who hasn't um, been a server or I mean, I was... Oh boy, I was a cocktail waitress for about an hour and a half one time. And I was, in fact, a Guinness girl for, who was it, Anheuser-Busch? Are they the ones who own? I did have to know this at one point. I had to be quizzed on like Guinness and the other beers, the names of which I forget. I was terrible. It was not for me. I was like, it's, it's you know, it's a beer and it's got a froth. It was not, it was not. I was a Guinness girl for a single night <laughs> on, um, Dolores's favorite holiday, St. Patty's Day, during a snowstorm in um, here in New York City, and I absolutely wore Manolo Blanc, Manolo Blahniks in that in said snowstorm on my way to be paid to flirt with people at a bar while hawking beer. I don't understand, um, but anyway, you know, little stale food item. Who doesn't love that shit? Okay, it's like a fine wine. Sprinkle cookies just get better with. In the words of Ramona, not age, but time. And I'm going to leave you with that recipe, okay? Best possible cookie recipe is fucking it up and throwing some really terrible, chemically filled sprinkles on top. I think you you really cannot go wrong. And um, I just want to bring that energy forward into the future. If anyone has ever tried a pignoli cookie, if close your eyes right now, do you know what a pignoli cookie actually is? Because I, I absolutely cannot imagine it. Top of head. Top of mind. Top of head, top of mind. Top of table. My gosh. Couldn't tell you. Um, but that's the important conversation that I want us to be moving forward. You know, we're talking about family relationships and dynamics and separation and alienation and estrangement. I want us to start with the cookie. What's your favorite cookie? Write in, let me know. On that note, guys, important conversations we'll have moving on. Um, I want to know your thoughts, your satchels on New Jersey and everything else. Um, And join me on the next episode of AG Classic. We'll be talking Potomac. We'll be talking Robin. And Lord knows we will be talking Franklin Lakes. On that note, happy whatever day of the week you're listening to this fucking podcast on. Um, shout out, by the way, to Amy Phillips, the queen, who is going to be performing here in New York City uh, Thursday night. I think tickets are now sold out. You may see a cameo from yours truly at that show, uh, which I'm so, so excited to attend. Um, so if you're an AG and you're going to Amy's Cabaret here in New York City, her Cabaret meet, please, please come up and say hi. I would love to meet you and ask you um, to define a panoli cookie. And if you are able to define it, well, um, my Italian heritage bows down because uh, apologies to Grandpa Galley, I absolutely forget. On that note, I'm going to say on that note one more time. Here we go. Take a moment. Take a beat. On that note. This has been a little bivet episode, an hour-long episode of Andy's Girls. 
sending my love to all of you and we will chat soon. Bye-bye.